At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. We aren't taught about what to do once you make money. We're taught about like occupations and things like that. But like, it's not a really focus on, okay, and then how do you actually plan for the longevity of this? And what does it mean to have the privilege of being able to do so? Hello, and welcome to Financial's podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty. I am your host and ACFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am so excited to have my guest today, Nadia. Hi, Nadia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining. So our listeners know I saw you speak uh, the other week at a conference and I was just absolutely blown away with what you've built and how you've done it. And so I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you to our listeners. So would you mind introducing yourself and telling me, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company and, and what you've built? Yeah, so I'm Nadia, and I'm currently focusing on August, which is a lifestyle period brand. Um, we make more sustainable versions of tampons and pads that actually work and uh, are more comfortable and absorbent and um, sustainable. And uh, we launched a little over a year ago. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, before that, I was running a nonprofit called Period that was a lot more focused on the direct service period poverty right now. So tell me a little bit about period poverty. I think obviously I grew up in a privileged environment. So that was something that never occurred to me. And so I heard you speak about it. So why don't you educate our listeners on period poverty? Period poverty is just not being able to afford access to period products. So, um, you know, just as we think about uh, being able to afford access to other necessities, whether that be shelter and water and food, um, period products are also necessities. So things that people need, uh, regardless of what their socioeconomic status is. And yeah, so for me, like I learned about period poverty when I was 16. It wasn't something that I was personally experiencing, but something that I grew to care deeply about, especially as my family was experiencing, you know, having to have these harder conversations about what were necessities and what weren't necessities. And period poverty is exacerbated by the fact that we live in a society that barely talks about periods, doesn't acknowledge, you know, period, the need for period care as like a right. Um, and in many ways, uh, furthered by certain legislation like the tampon tax, it's actually doing quite the opposite of not prioritizing it as a natural need. 
Right. You, Cause when you have your period, you like have to have products. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. it's not a, you know, it's definitely a need and not a want. Like you, it happens yeah. every month and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and so one thing I learned when we, at this conference was that period products are actually not provided in jails so that you have to buy them. Yeah. Um, and then other places, which, you know, for the period poverty as well, like you're not provided. And so if you don't have the funds, then you're not able to buy anything. Um, and I did hear you say one time that that's probably one of the biggest reasons uh, young women miss school. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, well, first of all, in prisons, I think it's very different depending on which state you go to. I also think that as we can see by the number of ACLU cases that have been about access to period care in um, prisons for uh, menstruating inmates, it also, there's a big difference between it being mandated by law that they're provided versus actually being provided. Um, and I think that you know, a lot of what I think that the people in the menstrual movement have been fighting for is that regardless of someone's living situation, that period products are treated as necessities. And that spans all the way from, you know, potentially being incarcerated to being low income and just not being able to afford um, tampons and pads without having to choose between them and a meal and how that choice isn't really something that we should have to make in 2022 because like this should be something that is treated as a necessity. Um, you know, I think that there have been a number of recent studies and this is something I loved working on when I was on the nonprofit side about further research on the effects of period poverty. There are, is a lot more research about what the effects are on a global level in, mm -hmm. um, in the global South. But I think that even in the US there have been more and more studies being done. Like the first citywide study done in St. Louis found that 46% of low-income women had to choose between a meal and period products, and one in four um, teens had either missed class or knew someone who had missed class due to a lack of access to period care. So, I mean, it's, I think anyone, regardless of, uh, you know, whether or not they can afford period products, like as menstruators, we know the feeling of getting your period unexpectedly, not having access to maybe a clean bathroom or a change of clothes, and how does that affect the way that you're participating in school or in the workforce um, when you don't have access to what you need? Yeah, it's terrible if you don't have access to what you need. There's no way around it. Yeah. And then on top of it, there's the tampon tax, as you as you mentioned. Yeah, so it, it's in less states now, but um, when I started this work in 2014, it was 40. And now it is, uh, I think, about 25 or 26 but the tampon tax is basically a sales tax that is included on period products, considering them non-essential goods, which is where, you know, you hear a lot of the nicknames around it, like the luxury tampon tax, because, mm -hmm. you know, by labeling something non-essential, it is labeling it as, you know, a luxury. luxury. And I think one of the reasons it's so aggravating is not simply that there's a sales tax, but because the things that are considered medical necessities are things like Rogaine and Viagra for, you know, primarily male hair growth and erections and how those are, you know, vehemently supported more as medical necessities than period products are. Right. And you can, in my opinion, you don't have to have hair, but you have to have products if you're having a period. Like there's no mm -hmm. way, you can't avoid it. You can't be like, oh, you know yeah. what? I think I'll skip this month. It's not a good month yeah. for me budget, budget wise. Exactly. So how did you get so, how did you become so passionate about this? I think that for me, you know, it was just became this thing that I could never stop thinking about. I was mm -hmm. constantly thinking about period, like periods as soon as I started learning about the issue. And, you know, I think the more I learned about the issue, the more I wanted to do something about it. And I think 
the even now, the further I learn about it, the further I dive into the subject, the more I become convinced that this is what I need to be doing. I think it started when I was 16 and I was trying to research different nonprofit organizations that I could collaborate with, not finding any that I could even volunteer with and then kind of feeling like, okay, like this is something I have to do my on my own all the way to, um, you know, like wanting to learn about you know different communities that get their periods that I may be not a part of to figure out how I can be more inclusive in my own work, learning about things like the intersection of disabilities and periods or you know people being incarcerated and on their periods mm -hmm. or um, you know people with autism in their periods. like these are all I think facets of that really show the intersectionality of being a satin female at birth and also needing period products and other parts of life experiences. And just the more and more I learn, the more I think I'm humbled by like what I don't know and the work that needs to be done. And the more motivated I feel by the lack of progress of what I hope we would have seen by 2022 in the current world that we're in. Um, and, you know, I think that for me, like this has been a passion that I just can't avoid. Like I've gone through different points in my career where I, I feel like it became really hard or, you know, you have that burnout and you kind of ask yourself, mm -hmm. like, can I, can, can I get myself to be as passionate about other things? And this is just what I always kind of keep gravitating back towards. But you, and you started originally as a nonprofit. Yeah, I started as a nonprofit um, in 2014. Okay, and then, but and then you decided that the nonprofit space wasn't really the maybe the best vehicle t for impact, and decided to go venture. I well, look, I I actually think that nonprofits are absolutely necessary to make impact in this society. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it was more a personal thing. It was like, okay. I, you know, I really, I'm like, I I feel like one of my strengths is being aware of like what I'm not good at and like what I am good at. And I feel like when I was working on a nonprofit, like I just was, when the nonprofit got to a certain size, I just wasn't equipped to know, like, I'm not the best grit writer. I don't, I'm not happy writing grits. I'm not happy fundraising constantly. So if I'm not fulfilled at that work, plus like, I was kind of like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I had so much imposter syndrome about like, I'm so happy the organization is growing, but like, ah, this is so crazy. Like, I'm not as, I, I feel like I was kind of coming upon barriers about like what I could bring to the table where I felt like it was a disservice for me to continue on in that leadership role. So actually in 2019, I started the work of doing a national search for an executive director to replace me of that nonprofit. The okay. nonprofit is still going and growing and making incredible impact. But I think that for me, the more I learned about honestly, like, how I could critique capitalism and the systems that we were in and these theories of change, I personally felt more called to being able to make impact in this space from mm -hmm. the avenue of a social enterprise, mostly because I hated fundraising. And for me, like I am a consumer, I'm a content creator and things that I was seeing in amongst my peers around them buying products and like what I wanted to do in terms of work, like. I'm just not meant to be a fundraiser. I'm not meant to be like a volunteer coordinator. Like I think that I'm a lot more creative focused. And I think that it acknowledging that and then also kind of building my own conclusions about theories of change in this society. I was just more called to doing this from the angle of a business. And at the scale to do that, it required raising venture capital. I think that's really smart to, to determine like what you're good at, what you're not good at. Because if you're doing things that you're not good at and don't like, I think you burn out way faster. Yeah. Like if every yeah. day you're like, I hate grant writing and I'm going to sit here and write a grant. So yeah, you for figuring, figuring that out and then going a different 
a different path. So how is it bet? How was it? So with being venture back, you just ideally maybe raise once or twice and then, and obviously yeah. you don't have to write a grant. So. So we've raised two rounds so far, okay. a pre-seed and a seed. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously every founder would love to say that they'll never raise again. We'll see. Right. We'll see how this goes. And yeah, I mean, I think that the be I'm still fundraising, right? But I think that the beauty of building something where we have a lot more creative um, control over how we talk about periods in the most mm -hmm. bold and inclusive way possible without a lot of, you know, I think censoring of that um, or having to appease certain um, investors. Like we very much aligned ourselves with investors who are very much on board with our mission of destigmatizing periods at the level that we were at and making it a really inclusive conversation. But I also think that like, I very much on the nonprofit side found myself on the product focus side of the work, right? Which is let's move millions of units of period products a year to get people period products. So naturally I think in working a lot with the products, working a lot with the brands, I think the, the part of my interest in sustainable period care became further and further illuminated because I was in conversations about how, you know, most pads take 500 to 800 years to decompose right. and that's that ridiculous. Is, that, that's, and, that's crazy. And that's because they're made of how many plastic, how many plastic bags well, did you say? Like the average maxi pad has enough plastic for three to five plastic bags. Right. And so you know, I think like, we just have to, can we take a pause and just say that's insane? Like, <laughs> yeah. how, how is that not like the number one thing? But I mean, period poverty is real and something that we need to address. But also besides having, you know, not having access, like we're damaging the earth every time we yeah. use a maxi yeah. pad. Yeah. And I think that's something where that is something I just, I think as you learn and grow, your passions kind of continue building mm -hmm. out. And that was something that I also just kept coming back to of like, this is ridiculous. Like I can't right. stop thinking about this. Um, yeah. That, and so when, so now with you fundraising, so that's one of the things that's different about your product, right? So not using three to five plastic bags. Yeah. So <laughs> our pads are plastic free and yeah. fully biodegradable within, um, 12 months. And so I think for us, it was really, you know, this was also coming from the angle of I'm a Gen Z consumer. I want to, I want my purchases to be more earth friendly. It should be easier to find earth friendly options. I want there to be an open conversation around periods and, you know, how do we also have capital to actually be the decision makers in the room? And I think those were big priorities that I was searching for and kind of, as I was thinking about the next chapter of, of this work. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's incredible because now with this, you can have a, a greater impact on the products that are out there, right? Because it's hard to change the corporations that are currently existing. And so now you can compete with all the major competitors. Yeah, exactly. And you guys are in target now or you're going to be in target? Um, no, we're not. We're not. Oh. We're, I, we're pretty new still, you know, like we're currently less than two years into business. So mm -hmm. um, we're, we're pretty new and it's been, you know, still just kind of growing focused mostly on DTC right now. Okay. So our, yeah. the best place for our listeners, cause I'm sure everyone is listening and completely appalled at the fact that every time they have their period every month, they're basically putting three to five plastic bags back into the <laughs> environment. So where can they, we'll link everything, but like if they're like sitting listening to this right now and want to Google and purchase as they're listening to your conversation, where would they go? Um, it's august.co. Okay, perfect. Well, hopefully yeah. we see you in Target in some of the big stores and so we can compete with um, all the big brands out there that are not, you know, earth friendly. So yeah. tell me, how has it changed? So when you were growing up, you had talked about that you had some like housing instability. How did that affect your relationship with money? And then how has that changed now after all of the success you've had? 
I mean, I think that it's going to be always be a constant process. Um, I think that for, for me, like, you know, scarcity mindset is something I've struggled with my whole life. And it's something that I really need to prioritize working on constantly because scarcity mindset affects all parts of your life, whether Mm -hmm. it be financial planning all the way to being the best leader. And, um, I think that for me, it's taken a lot of therapy. It's taken a lot of, um, you know, being really conscious of making this a priority to work through. And I also think of just like rethinking how I'm navigating a lot of my work situations. Um, I think that I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where like I, you, I had to be very financially independent from an early age. And while that was really hard in the moment, I think it's something that I'm really thankful for because it really did, I think, push like force me to grow up quickly um, and learn how to be responsible in, you know, new ways that maybe not all my peers were at a really young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, you know, a lot of scarcity mindset is very emotional, right? Like I think it, I, something I asked myself a lot in therapy or like working through and feeling addicted to work was like, okay, when can I tell myself that it's okay to take a rest? And when can I tell myself that it's okay to, slow down and, you know, focus on not being in crazy survival mode. Um, And I think part of that too is like, you know, I grew up always being, feeling scarcity around money and having that money trauma. And I think we barely have any sort of financial literacy in our educational system. So while we might be taught, I mean, even my little sister, I'm, I'm five years older than her. She was never taught really how to like write a check in school. Right. And like, that was still something I was learning in school, but I don't think that they really teach that anymore. So I think it was anything from that, but like, we aren't taught about what to do once you make money. We're taught about like occupations and things like that, but like, it's not a really focus on, okay. And then how do you actually plan for the longevity of this? And what does it mean to have the privilege of being able to do so? Um, And so I think that those those are all conversations that I've had to deal with in my adult life. And, you know, from an early age, even before I necessarily even had a salary for my nonprofit, right? I was managing larger budgets than I had ever dreamed of um, because the organization was growing. Similarly, like our pre-seed round was $2 million. That yeah. amount of money I could have never dreamed. And, you know, that's a relatively decent sized pre-seed round, but like, I think that a big priority of mine in having to work through a lot of money trauma is that like as a CEO now, I have a responsibility of managing larger budgets. And um, that comes with a lot of responsibility that I need to make sure that I'm capable of taking on. Yeah, you bring up such a valid point. They literally don't teach you this, but they're like, let's talk about what you what you should study in school to get a job. But we're not going to tell you anything about what happens when you get the job, how to either pay off the education that you how to pay for to get the job. And then when you get the job, what you do with the money or the benefits that you're provided yeah. with. You're yeah. just totally at a disadvantage. And the one thing I always say about money is whether you like it or not, you're involved in it. And so you have to be an educated consumer because otherwise you get taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. So has, so your mindset is sh- shifted. Obviously therapy helps a ton, especially growing up with a scarcity mindset and and trying to change that and come from a place of abundance, right? Has has that been the biggest needle mover for you is therapy around it? I think it's been therapy, but it's also just been like, I check, I'm very about just like knowing what's happening to my money. And I think that because I have, you know, the fear of like, oh my God, I'm going to check my bank account and it's all going to be gone, right? Like on a random day, I'm like very, I'm pretty anal about like 
bookkeeping and like wanting to do it myself or even wanting to have the right visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that gives me a lot of peace of mind. I think a lot of it is also education around it. Like I love listening to podcasts about it. I, um, I'm very skeptical about things like crypto, um, you know, immediately. And I think that for me, I really like to push myself to do more learning about it as there's more conversation happening about it because I recognize that it's important to know. Um, and, you know, I think that I've had a different relationship with like even the idea of wanting to make money. And I think part of my own like journey of finding success has, has also been like getting comfortable with admitting that I want to make money. Like I want to be comfortable. And the things that bring me joy, by the way, are like traveling. I love eating. I love eating out. And these are all things that cost a lot of money in yes. society. Like travel is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of what my, you know, even kind of like own self-education is, is like, well, in like more of like the sex positive world, it's called pleasure research. And that's kind of what I do in terms of my own financial well-being is like, what brings me that joy? Like, what do mm-hmm. I want to spend my money on in the long term? How much do I need to have in reserves for me to feel comfortable and like I'm going to be okay even if something goes bad what does my rainy day fund actually look like do I need to have a rainy day fund how do I know what situation my family is in so that I can be a rainy day fund for my family if anything goes wrong and um, I think those are things that I I one I have anxiety about and the way that I calm a lot of that anxiety is by is honestly planning. Like I'm really, even in my own day-to-day life, I love to do lists and I love, you know, doing that planning. And so, yeah, I'm a big planner. I love to hear that. That is music to my ears. And also the fact that you educate yourself about it, I think is so important because no one ever cares as much about your money as you do, no matter what they yeah. say. So super important to be yeah. edu- educated. Um, but I think that, I think as women, we should be empowered to say we want to make money because men always say that. They always want to make yeah. more money. They're always very transparent about how much they make and what their bonuses are. And then, and that's one of the whole reasons I do the podcast because I feel like women don't talk about money enough. They talk about everything yeah. else. Well, except for, I would say periods, which you are the front runner on that, making sure that people are comfortable talking about also, you know, period and period products. But money has always been this taboo topic, which I don't think it should be because I think the more we talk about it, the more we bring each other up. And I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with wanting to make money and wanting to provide for yourself and your family and whatever your goals are. Yeah. And I think historically, I mean, literally the way the U S history itself has been built, right. Is like by not having women be financially independent and how those barriers like limit the freedom financially in a capitalist system, being able to support ourselves. So yeah, I think, I think that the more, the more and more I study or learn about that, the more it becomes possible. Oh, absolutely. So are there any, I normally ask this at the end, but are there any books or podcasts that you've used that have been very helpful? Um, I think that there's been more books on like abundance mindset. mindset. I think that another thing is like pleasure activism is one of my favorite books. And I think that of like talking about investing in what brings you joy, I think has mm-hmm. been really, really helpful as well. As well. I think it's also just been like having conversations like with friends who are wealth managers or planners and like kind of doing my own research and reading and I mean, listening to like planet money and things like that, just like basic learnings that I can take on as well. And when have you been doing this? Have you been like pulling your sister into it? Your younger sister? Um, yeah. I mean, my, with my youngest sister, especially who also has this like, you know, part of her 
um, is making money like her, as herself as a financially independent like influencer, um, doing a lot of kind of back and forth and discussion there, kind of like trying to share whatever wisdom I possibly could could have um, with her as much as I can. I ask because we bring on one of our regular guests is my sister who uses a fake name Natasha so that she's not exposed for work. But um, yeah. I use her as an example because she's super smart. She's an attorney, but when it comes to money, it is not her forte. So she comes on and yeah. asks questions just to try and break down that barrier that you can be super intelligent, super successful, and still have a hard time with money and some of these concepts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it can be really intimidating. And I think that that's something to be very like realistic about too. Yeah, absolutely. So tell our, our, a lot of our listeners are really into side hustles or starting their own businesses as entrepreneurs. What would your advice be for our listeners who are looking to, to start a business, whether it be bootstrap or go and raise the money, because it's very impressive. You went and raised 2 million for your seed round. Yeah. So that was also our pre-seed round. So our smaller oh, round. Pre um, yeah. Okay. But, you know, I think that the biggest thing is like having the right team. I think that I'm very thankful to never to not be alone in this. Like I have a great co-founder. I have the most incredible mentors. And I think that like I have borderline personality disorder, which means that like imposter syndrome is like a pretty intense part of my diagnosis. And I think that in, in acknowledging that it kind of becomes a uh, like a positive thing because I'm able to really like surround myself with people who I really look up to in terms of their wisdom and their experience. And I think that's one of the ways that I really like work through imposter syndrome is like, I don't have answers and I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. So I can surround myself with people who are. Um, and I think that that's been, that's been really, really, um, really powerful in that. Yeah. Having the right team around you to help. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And then how do you, how are you balancing it all because i i would like to we, we haven't touched on this but you do about 50 social media videos a day right i try to yes which is like i am very inspired by that because it just feels that feels like an overwhelming number yeah it definitely it's a lot but at the same time like i love making videos like i have so much fun with it i love the community that i found online and i think that i think that the more i do it the more i like get the hang of it and so it's been it's honestly just been really chill, like really fun. And and yeah, it's been good. Amazing. Oh, I think we'll use that for motivation to do yes. to do more videos. Um, and so what are your, I guess we'll round it out with what are your future goals for the, for the business and for yourself personally? Well, I do want to see August move into retail soon. I think that like, I love running a direct consumer company, but people primarily don't get their period products directly, you know, in that way. So I hope that we can kind of keep growing to be as accessible as possible. And I think that means, you know, getting into where people are finding their period products in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's been a huge part of it. Um, I would also say that, you know, for me, like I, I really hope that uh, I'm able to kind of keep up sleeping eight to 10 hours a night. Like I, I get very excited about different things that I'm working on, like my book podcast, and I think that I can get distracted easily. And so I hope I can continue focusing on focusing in every way. Right. So that's one of your goals, eight to 10 hours a night, right? Yeah, absolutely. I am right there with you. I think sleep is one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You need it. Yeah. I was told by somebody that you can train yourself not to sleep, like to function on six hours. And I was like, why? Like, why would you train yourself to do that? I think for years I trained myself to be on very little sleep, but I think I'm paying the price now. 
Yeah, I, I think sleep is a, a great goal. Well, Nadia, let me try and do a quick video. We'll say, so then we're going to, because we're going to post this on YouTube yeah. as well. So let's see if I can actually do one. Yes, I'm you should. I'm inspired by your, okay. Hi. This is Hi. our few, We'll do a little promo. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can check us out on YouTube. And you we will link your edit. It's August where you can buy your products directly from you and have a better impact on the earth because there'll be no plastic in it. And anything else our listeners should know? Uh, check out August, subscribe to August um, and follow us on TikTok. Amazing. Thank you for coming on. I super appreciate it. It was a pleasure and we'll link everything in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.